Hey guys, do you have a screenplay you need feedback on? Well, you are in luck. I, Julio, the half of the contrarians that speaks with an accent, am doing official screenplay coverage now. And if you're a listener of the show, you'll get a discount. Just email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com and tell us which is your favorite episode of the podcast and why. Turnaround is about two weeks and you'll get detailed notes that are even more thorough than what we do in the show. Although it'll also be less funny. For more information, email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com or visit our website, wearethecontrarians.com, and click on the Julio Reads Your Scripts link. Your voice is beautiful. Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash contrarianprime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Ovnio for Julio. That's O V N I O. Now, time for the podcast. Okay, we are recording. Hello, and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name, of course, is Alex, and I am joined, as always, by my friend Julio. Julio, welcome to 1970s Bronx, New York. It feels like we never left uh, since our Taxi Driver episode. <laughs> it does. We're back in the seedy underbelly of the uh, the Big Apple, as it were. The worst of the worst, the rotten apple. Well, you can tell by the way we use our walk... We're a ladies' man with no time to talk. We're here, of course, for Saturday Night Fever in the continuation of the Summer of Travolta. Uh, this is a bonus episode. Kind of the concurrent theme for there was a bit of musical. Right. Uh, clearly not a musical, but the soundtrack was one of the big selling points of it, as Julio could tell by me singing along to every song. Almost as much as you sang along to Grease and I'm assuming Hairspray. Yes. Saturday Night Fever, one of uh, Travolta's most critically acclaimed performances. He was nominated for an Academy Award for this. Uh, 85% on Rotten Tomatoes, meaning it is of the popular persuasion. So here in the opening part of the podcast, uh, Contrarian's Corner, we're going to be arguing against that. Now, being that it was so highly regarded, highly touted, highly rated, uh, I think you have some reviews to read it for us, Julio. Yes, not that many quotes on the Rotten Tomatoes website, but plenty... uh to fill our quota, starting with Gene Siskel from the Chicago Tribune, who it was says... his favorite movie. Was it? Yeah, that's what he said. Oh. Well, that's not what he said in this one. Uh-oh. <laughs> he said, Saturday Night Fever makes good movie making seem easy. And then he went on to say, by the way, it is my favorite movie. <laughs> um, Kathleen Carroll from the New York Daily News says, Saturday Night Fever is wonderfully honest and completely accurate when it comes to depicting that stagnant environment that keeps young people like Tony pinned down. Of course, Travolta's name is Tony in this oh, movie. Yeah. Hey. Tony Monero. <laughs> hey. Tony. 
Michael A. Smith from Nolan's Pop Culture Review. He says, my how-to book as a teenage. Well, wow, Michael, <laughs> wh where are you now? Uh, Colin Suter from eFilmCritic.com says, it holds up beautifully, mainly because it puts the characters and their flaws first and the disco nightlife second. Travolta remains an amazing, graceful presence on the dance floor. And finally, Janet Maslin from the New York Times says, Mr. Travolta is deft and vibrant, and he never condescends to the character, not even in a scene that has Tony and Stephanie arguing about whose Romeo and Juliet it is, Zeffirelli's or Shakespeare's. I have staying alive here at the top. No, we're not doing the uh, follow-up <laughs> to this directed by uh, Sylvester Stallone. That's, that's for the winter of Travolta. Oh, Jesus. Uh, I've never even seen that. I don't know if I can handle it. Staying Alive kicks us off here with Saturday Night Fever, the iconic opening of Tony Manero walking, strutting through, uh, again, the seedy underbelly of Brooklyn, New York, the, the BK, the Bronx. He is quite full of himself, and his hair is probably the most majestic we've seen of Travolta thus far. Uh, think Spider-Man 3, Tobey Maguire walking down the street, only I see, I see it. not done quite as well. Um, I think that this movie, my first watching of this movie, it suffered a lot from comparing it to, to better movies that have been released since. Like Spider-Man 3? So, like Spider-Man 3. So once you've seen Tobey Maguire with the emo hairdo and just... There's no going back. You can't... I understand that Travolta's trying, and mm -hmm. back in the 70s, this was... Wow, nobody's seen this before, right? But we're we're a little jaded by now. And bullshit right off the bat... Um, Travolta is svelte. He's a very tiny man in this. And it shows him housing down two pieces of pizza. And, like, all he eats throughout the entire movie is Italian food. I think he would have a build much similar to mine if that were the case. Yeah, you know he was uh, he was purging yes. in between takes. <laughs> Just to get, to get those jeans super tight. They didn't show him with the, the needle-nose pliers making sure he gets a zipper all the way up. Yeah, I mean, that's this movie objectifies him more than any movie we've done so far in the summer of Travolta. There's mm -hmm. uh, even, I mean... We did basic just last episode. A lot. Well, yes, but but Travolta, we we just saw him almost naked in basic, uh, just showing off his physique. And what he was probably in his forties then, at least, uh, right? Yeah. And here is it's a different kind of, uh, uh, would you say, female gazing? Well, no, because it's a male director, so mm -hmm. he just male gazes Travolta. Yeah, uh, but yeah, shot from all different angles on his like tight shirt, and then later. A few scenes later, when he's changing, he's just wearing in his speedo, his speedo, his black speedo. Yeah, uh, you get a lot of Travolta skin. You do. He uh, Tony works at a hardware store. Seems kind of like a dead end job. Although we don't really see him working, we're just he shakes cans. He does. He shakes some paint cans, and we're told the customers love him, uh, but we don't really see any interactions. We just take it for what it's worth. You just you're just supposed to assume that because he's so cool. They love him. Because exactly. we, we saw him walking down the street, catcalling some girls. Putting a fiver on a fancy new blue t-shirt, or not t-shirt, a dress shirt in the window. Uh, but he gets home, and this is all for naught. This is not a facade to Travolta, but it is to his family, as they uh, they don't think too highly of him. In a very cliche New York Italian family sense of, hey, yo, what's the matter, you? Dude, no kidding. Like, watch the hair. <laughs> Just everybody slapping each other on the head. Your father's talking to you. Answer him. Your mother's talking to you. And then the grandma that doesn't say anything just kind of just it, it, when she when she speaks, she speaks Italian. Exactly. It's just come on. 
Travolta taking part of this when we've seen him time and again during the summer of Travolta do a better, more nuanced representation of the Italian-American immigrant. Mm -hmm. And here he's just full on, who's the boss, Tony Danza? Giant uh, napkin tucked in uh, around his gold chain when he's eating. Uh, His brother's a priest, though, as if we couldn't get more New York Italian stereotype. And they have his picture above their fire. Or it's on a mantle, excuse me. And the mother does the crosses her chest every time she walks by it. Uh, We're introduced to his group of friends consisting of... uh, Sonny. Duty. (laughs) Duty. (laughs) Kanicki. I'm looking forward to you telling me the names of these guys. Because I, as much as I disliked the Three Stooges in Greece, Mm -hmm. at least they were memorable. They were identifiable. Uh, These guys, they're just... They blend together... In just just a pudding of Italian mannerisms. Well, there's Bobby C because he's the one that has troubles throughout the movie. The oh, the, the young one. Okay, the I'll, pup, the one that drives. Yes, and then one of them is named Double J, I believe. Is that uh, Fat Ryan Reynolds? Uh, no. And I thought, are you talking about the guy with the eyebrows? I mean, the guy that looks like Ryan Reynolds I, after I a few too many burgers. I just know there's the. Timon and Pumbaa that really wreak havoc in the final act of the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the guys that like the, the tag team. Yes, but they're just a bunch of racist degenerates. Uh, Travolta, right off the bat, just throwing out racial epithets like they're going out of style. He he was, I think that's when a young Quentin Tarantino <laughs> saw him. It's like, that's Vincent Vega right there. <laughs> but it's quickly established just, you know, through this introductory scene to his friends that they've, they're a crew that's been running tight for quite some time. Uh, you know, one of the reviews mentioned the stagnant lifestyle of Travolta, and we as an audience member can catch on pretty quickly, and we're eventually beaten over the head with it that his life is one of pattern and just routine at this at this stage. Uh, this is, I, I was not alive in the seventies. Neither were you. No, but we've heard the stories. Yes, we know that that disco reigned supreme for God, for a few years. God bless. Uh, and I guess. As we got into this movie, as we settled in for the story, I realized that this was just um, it was just a story about Travolta clubbing. Mm-hmm. They're really at some point they introduced this sort of dance competition, and it's sort of this subplot that that runs amidst uh, all his other Semi-concurrently, troubles, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, but there's a lot more about him getting laid and dancing than mm-hmm. anything else. Um, so he, I don't think he ever gets successfully laid in this film. I think there's a couple interruptions every time it comes up. Yeah, I mean, we we have to assume that he gets laid off screen. Yes, but but I just it I think that this is made with a very specific audience in mind. That is the audience that wants to relive the golden days of disco, and that's not me. That's not you. That's not anybody that's alive right now. So I. I feel bad once again because I'm judging the movie from a modern point of view. Mm-hmm. I'm not the guy in 77 that's like, oh, yeah, that was me when I was a kid or that was me a few years ago. I look at them and I just can't take them seriously. The hair, the clothes, the racism. <laughs> Is it more uh, piercing than in Greece? At least they're. They're not pretending to be high at school At least students. Greece is a comedy. Well, that too. That too. Uh, and yeah, it has this sunny. Is, this is a lot harsher than, than Greece. A lot harder to take. 
This is like traffic with a lot of lights. Yes. Uh, this is harder to shrug off. Greece, I could just say, fuck them. Who can take them seriously? But here, it's like, I can't take them seriously, but they're doing horrible things. In a culture of racism and rape, it's just, it's, it's not a movie that's easy to forget. Yeah. The worst thing that happens in Greece is that Riza almost gets pregnant. She has a condition. Oh, <laughs> uh, the... Uh, 2001 Odyssey, I believe, was the name of the club that they frequent. Uh, it's clear that... Funded by uh, Kubrick. Did yes. You know that? That's... Kubrick was an executive producer on this. He used a pseudonym. <laughs> That's why, uh, you know, that shot where Travolta's dancing and he throws the bone in the air mm-hmm. and it goes up in slow motion. <laughs> Tony is the, the cock of the walk, the king of the castle. When he comes in the club, it parts like the Red Sea. I think they even make that analogy at one point yeah, in the film. Yeah, his brother yeah. says it later. He, you know, everyone knows him. Every girl wants to, um, what's the old Ric Flair expression? Every guy wants to have a beer with him. Every girl wants to sleep with him type of thing. He, uh, But they'll both settle for dancing with him at least. Exactly. Fucking A, because it introduces uh, our main female character of the film. Now, we do have the love interest, but Annette here um, is, from start to finish, our main female protagonist. She's the one that makes the biggest impression. Yes. And I would argue the better dancer. And definitely does not have her shit together anywhere near the level of our other female character, Stephanie. Well, yeah, I I don't know enough. Keep in mind, she's 15. <laughs> Travolta, okay, well, we can just go ahead and address that. Travolta looks like a 19-year-old in this. Yeah, he looks... Which, my God, he aged incredibly uh, rapidly between this and Greece. Well, with after... With only a year apart. After living through the last 20 minutes of this movie, I think everybody would start just graying out and... and they they had to do heavy makeup in the last shot because he looked like uh, Tommy Lee Jones at the end of No Country for Old Men. Oh my god! And then I woke up. <laughs> um, I don't know about I don't know enough about the director's filmography. Uh, this is obviously the first movie of his that I've watched. And uh, have you seen War Games? No, I haven't. Have you seen? I have his filmography up in front of me right here. Yeah, that'd probably be it. Short Circuit. Nope. Well, I, I guess now that since you might have seen some of them, is there a theme about treating women like punching bags in his movies? No. Or did he just get it out of his system in this one? Oh, definitely. He, you know, it was a built up. It was like standing on a hose for 37 years or however old he was at this point. And he just had to get it all out. Uh, because Annette, yeah, is um, not the symbol of femininity that we need now, then, or ever. Or ever. Uh, it's it's the passion of Annette, but it's overshadowed by by Travolta's silly problems. Like, oh, who am I going to dance with next? <laughs> Annette is a local gal that clearly uh, loves Tony and will do any and everything to win his affection. And he's not very interested in her at all. Um, she's kind of a disposable or reusable, interchangeable, inconsequential female character to him. A female in his life that he has no interest with even really sleeping with, just potentially dancing with. He, they, the only time they get along is from his perspective is when they're dancing. Uh, but even then, he could kind of, he really could couldn't care less. Hits the dance floor. The main reason I have this written down here: the first night at the club ends with him kissing some random girl on the dance floor, and she says, "I just kissed Al Pacino," which God bless the time when Al Pacino was a teenage heartthrob. <laughs> I think that's, if nothing else that we learned from this movie, it's that we need to go back to those times 
when Al Pacino was on the cover of Tiger Beat in 17. I There's no going back, Alex. No. That's, that's it. It's done. Uh, stars today, the people on those covers. I mean, who who's there right now? Justin Bieber. Even he, I think he's he's too old now. Harry Styles. Maybe. I don't know. But compare that to a young Al Pacino. Oh, God. There's no it's, comparison. Right. So the testosterone was off the roof, like off the charts in, the, in, in those magazine covers. And now it's just like. Just a whimper. Disposable. Uh, speaking of testosterone raging, Tony wakes up the next morning in uh, the aforementioned Black Speedo. Uh, rocking the chest hair look. And, yeah, there's a lot of... Um, it reminded me of the scene in Blue is the Warmest Color where the director just filmed Adele nude sleeping for an extended period of time to the where it get, became uncomfortable. Even Travolta, the look on his face is like, oh, God, when are they going to call cut? And he gets up and he looks himself in the mirror and says, yeah, I'm Al Pacino. And God bless him. Al Pacino was the teenage heartthrob, but also a hero to the young men of America because he had a big Al Pacino poster. He covered all the bases. He was a, a, an action star. He was a sex symbol. He was everything. Oh, God. Sex symbol Al Pacino. Bring it back. Hashtag that. Uh, and then, of course, Travolta in one of the most memorable and quoted moments of the film does his impression of Al Pacino in Dog Day Afternoon. To his grandma. Yes, which she is. Aha! A bubbity boo boo. <laughs> Tony's growing tired of life in uh, Brooklyn. He's not really sure what else is left for him there. Um, not yet, as much as he will in the movie, but I think he starts to see that this routine is growing stale and that he needs to figure out a way to break this path, break this circle. In the meantime, he's just going to be way more enamored with dancing with uh, our new girl in the film, Stephanie. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, to me, the other girl is the the better dancer. Uh, I think it's just Travolta falling for the new rather than falling for the true quality. Right. Yeah. That's uh, We see him dance with both of them. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just because the new girl uh, is just so unattainable at first. He just really laser focuses on getting her. Oh, yeah. And, he Terminator visions on her when he sees her in the club. But really... I think the first time we see her in the club might be her best dance number. And mm-hmm. after that, it's just it's just her following Travolta's lead yeah. and refusing his advances. But that's that's really, that's how you hook him. Mm-hmm. That's not, I was hoping for more. <laughs> There's a dance contest on the horizon at the 2001 Odyssey Club. I think they said the prize money for first place is $500. Which... $500! That's a spicy meatball. <laughs> John Travolta. <laughs> uh, back at home, Frank Jr., who was Tony's brother, the priest, has left the priesthood. He's leaving the church. This is absolutely crushing to Tony's parents. However, Tony kind of relishes in this because he's no longer the screw-up in the family. Yeah, he's in a great mood after his brother has been basically ostracized from society for, for giving up on priesthood. Uh, if you haven't gotten the, the idea by now, Travolta is an asshole. Oh yeah. It's not that he's a good guy that hangs out with losers. He is he is the biggest one out of there, like the, the biggest douchebag. Um this is in a sense um you know a lot of us uh 
refer to Revolutionary Road as you know the dark Titanic. Right. This is the dark. The dark grease. grease. Yes. yes. This is what those fuckers are really like. Just a, you know, with a different light cast upon them. I mean, there's a there's even a recreation sort of of the of uh, Travolta assaulting Sandy in the car and her getting away. We get that later in this movie, but it's not as funny. Oh, no. There's no comedy to it. <laughs> Tony's trying to square up with Stephanie. He uh, wants to dance with her, wants her to be his partner. Uh, she turns down you know, his advances because clearly he's, he's fawning over her to begin with, but I think she sees some merit into them just dancing because they strike up a a budding friendship based solely around their dancing together. They go on the longest coffee date ever. Yes. Uh, which goes on for longer than... Most Woody Allen movies. And I was going to say the, the Vincent and Mia date in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> the entire segment of the film. Yeah, and she agrees to dance but not date, and I think they seal it with a handshake. But, of course, even then, Travolta is so... Like, Tony's so fucking stupid he can't get out of his own way... Doesn't he say, like, you're much nicer like this when you're quiet? <laughs> he's still, despite the fact that she's not interested in him romantically, he's going to make sure to get his licks in as a, you know, chauvinist. Yeah. Um, and he, no, it's not just that he can't get out of his own way. It's also that there's this mean streak to him uh, that he, he denies and the movie never fully acknowledges it. But mm -hmm. we see it there on display because then he goes and, I mean, Quotation marks breaks it off with the other girl. Uh, it's nothing personal. It's professional. <laughs> nothing personal. It's just you. Yeah, and then she starts crying. He's like, "Oh, what the fuck you doing?" <laughs> he shames her pretty badly, and then refers to her for the first time in the movie. It's the c word. It's see you next Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a setup that actually pays off later in the movie. It does, as opposed to the blue shirt, which yeah. we never see that shirt again. We do not. <laughs> Okay, so I forgot there was the other friend, Gus. So he's got four friends. So it is like Grease. Yeah. <laughs> Sonny, Duty, Potsy, and Kaniki. So his Kaniki. Kaniki is Fat Ryan Reynolds. I don't know who the fuck you're talking about. When No, Kaniki is Bobby C. Because Kaniki's clearly like calling. He's crying out for Danny's help throughout the majority of Grease. Bobby C. just took it to another level and killed himself in this. <laughs> right. Okay, so so Kaniki is the kid that drives everywhere. And, yeah, and so the other three are Potsy, Duty, and Sonny. Interchangeable. Doesn't matter who's who. Except none of these have the comedic timing of Sonny. Uh, I will agree with you there. <laughs> Gus is jumped. Uh, Gus, we only get one scene of with him and Travolta, and it's a bit earlier where he sees him walking throughout the neighborhood, and he takes an apple out of his grocery bag. Right. So Gus gets jumped. And this kind of starts a downward spiral of his friends dissolving, in which Bobby C., do we learn yet that he, if it's not here, it's within the next scene or so. Bobby C., the youngest of the crew, got a girl pregnant. And yeah, he doesn't want to marry her, but he knows how evil abortions are. Um, I kind of, like, tuned out the friends because they were just, you know, they were always, so, I mean, I assumed the movie wanted me to tune them out <laughs> because Travolta looked like he was tuning them out when they were talking. So they're, from Travolta's perspective, it's, <laughs> it's just a bunch of like the Italian version of the two. <laughs> hey <-o! laughs> uh, but I noticed later on when he's talking to Travolta's brother, that was the first time that I, I noticed that the kid actually had something important to say. <laughs> Yeah, it, it takes it takes Travolta and everybody else much much longer to to, to realize that. 
Now, Gus, I honestly, I didn't know who they were talking about when they they said, hey, Gus got jumped and he's in the hospital or whatever. And I was like, who? Who the fuck is Gus? <laughs> I guess there's one less of you now, so it must be that guy. Uh, that's right. So um, Bobby C., his problems are starting to develop and the, the cracks are starting to show. The other two friends, Double J and uh, Duty, they, they're starting to spiral out of control with um, with the drugs, with drugs and the racism and racism and the violence on their mind. Because uh, Gus tells them that the Barracudas, the local gang, did this. And you know, if this were a true film, it would concluded uh, with the the beat it knife off, the knife battle where Michael Jackson binds their hands together with a leather belt, and they learn in the end it doesn't matter who's wrong and who's right. Just beat it. But Duty and Double J are out for vengeance and violence. You know when they're not popping pills and getting into all sorts of hijinks. Uh, Travolta and his mom get into a big disagreement. Um, she's obviously heartbroken that she has all these fuck up for fuck ups for kids at this point. But but she's not saying it out loud. So when Travolta says it out loud, that breaks her heart. Yeah. <laughs> and then Travolta starts crying. Would that have been the Oscar scene? Um. I guess so. I, I had it on my notes that it's I'm later sorry, on. Ma. But yeah, I'm sorry, Ma is probably a stronger. Because um, I, I had it towards the end when they're, he's leaving the club after the competition and he mm-hmm. has this long, angry rant. I thought that was his Oscar moment, but tears will always win. So John Travolta for Saturday Night Fever. I'm sorry, Ma. He hit my hair. <laughs> he hit it. Holy Toledo. We get a cameo from Fran Drescher. Not even a cameo. She She has a name. It's Connie. And she, has a, she has a name and a dance number. Yes, forty-one years later, hasn't aged too much. Feels like a waste of the nanny to just have her be. <laughs> basically, I mean, yes, she's Connie, but she's also random girl at club number one, mm-hmm. or number three by now, because she must be the third or fourth girl that we've seen come up to Travolta and go like, "Hey, you want to dance? Because you're awesome." Yeah, she is definitely someone that would have been wasted in two hundred cigarettes. She would just had like one line, like, yep. "Hey." Careful, you kids. Hey, Ben Affleck, no. (laughs) Uh, This is where Bobby C. breaks down and starts talking to Frank Jr. Uh, Frank Jr. obviously recently left the priesthood, and he's a bit testy about it. Someone calls him father. He's like, I'm not your father. I always hated that. One more example of Travolta being kind of an asshole. He brings his brother to this club that's obviously not his scene. Yeah. He doesn't even dress him for the occasion. He comes in like a Mr. Rogers sweater. (laughs) Yeah. He looks completely out of place. Of course, everybody's talking to him like he's a grown-up, like he's the dad that's visiting the, and, the neighborhood. I mean, the, the guy just left a life of celibacy and no sin. I, I would ease him in a little bit more, maybe take him out for a slice of pizza first or something. Uh, but the whole point of this with Bobby C., you know, because he knows that Frank Jr. is a former priest, and he's basically asking if the Pope would pardon him for getting an abortion. So uh, he, here we find out he got his girlfriend pregnant. Yes, and he does not want to marry her. Uh, but he also is worried about the life of Stin. Um, no, no one is practicing safe sex in this movie, and the one character that implies it is, you know, victim shamed for it. Um, the this this whole conversation about abortion happens while Travolta uh, just is hogging the spotlight on the dance floor. Fran Drescher could not satisfy him in the realms of dance, so it, he he scoots everybody aside. Teenage Wedding by Chuck Berry starts playing. He takes his shoes off and starts twisting. Um, probably my biggest disappointment with this movie, they had it set up so perfectly, and they never got the brother on the dance floor. 
because you keep cutting to the brother being distracted by Travolta's dancing, mm-hmm. being really into it, and and the kid is like, "Hey, but my my girlfriend, she's pregnant." And he's like, "What? What?" And he keeps looking back at Travolta. I really thought that we were building up to Travolta just bringing his brother out of his shell just and just getting save him the last dance. Frank Jr. is Julia Stiles. <laughs> but, Young Alan Alda. <laughs> I just can't dance. I can't do it. Uh... Now, this is the second or third time also that we've seen Travolta on the dance floor at this club. Mm-hmm. And granted, I'm looking at it from the year 2018. But to me, he was trying a little too hard. Yeah. It's... I know that the movie is supposed to have you in awe of his dancing, but to me, he just reminded me of that guy at a party that's just just going at it a little too hard and just making it awkward for everybody else because nobody wants to dance next to that. No. It, and it's not necessarily because you think it's good or because you don't think you're as good. It's just because that's not cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're supposed to keep a level of mediocrity on the dance floor so that everybody's comfortable. And Travolta's there like doing flips and sliding and doing all that stuff. It's just... I I didn't it didn't endear me he to his character. He flicks off his cuffs with just a quick twist of his fingers. Right, because you would think his character is such a piece of shit that I think the way that you connect to him is not through the racism or the misogyny or anything. You connect to him through his dancing, right? He's a piece of shit, but at least he can dance. Mm-hmm. But I can't even do that because his dancing is just mean-spirited. Speaking of a piece of shit, this is where Annette she Still is trying to win Tony over and, you know, to make an attempt at, you know, kind of manipulating him or somehow getting his attention. She just implies that she's going to fuck one of his friends. And then he's just like, oh, the fuck you will. And, you know, one of the many moments of the film of him using her, be it emotionally or physically. Or both at the same time. Yeah. uh, They go out to his friend's car, which they all share. They go and just will hook up with women, take them to the car, and then just basically have shifts in there. Which It's a Motel 6 on wheels. Yeah, just so unsanitary and unsettling. Uh, but his friends cut him off, and they drive down to the, the bridge, the bridge that leads to Staten Island. And this is kind of you know the Lost Boys scene of the film, where they go and hang upside down from the bridge. Uh, this is, I guess, where they go after the club just to act the fool for a period of about three minutes and then go home for the night. Yeah, it's... Uh, uh... This happens also right after uh, she, Travolta is already having sex with her, and he asks her if she's fixed, which is yeah. which is <laughs> what you ask of a cat. <laughs> uh, but it turns out that she's not; she doesn't have any sort of contraception. But and, she says it's okay because I love you. Right. <laughs> which, I mean, I guess God would would agree. And Travolta in that moment did the same bemused. That he did after hearing uh, Mia's joke at the, <laughs> at the conclusion of their story in Pulp Fiction. Um, yeah, that's the conversation you're supposed to have before you're already, you know, halfway through the act. Mm-hmm. Instead of, you know, being halfway through the act <laughs> and then asking. It's usually not when those things come up. Right. You should probably find out who he voted for beforehand as well. <laughs> Make America sexy again. <laughs> Travolta succeeded there. Uh, Bobby keeps devolving while Travolta, uh, Tony, and Stephanie's relationship continues to grow. Their dancing is becoming stronger. Uh, They're becoming better and better friends. He volunteers to help her move. He temporarily loses his job because of it. 
uh, in the process of helping her move, finds out that she has, uh, it's not really a boyfriend, but a man. A babe, no, not a, a sugar daddy. Pretty much. He but, helped her out with her career, and she's, in so many words, says she's kind of just using him to for the assistance, and uh, that there's really not anything emotional there. It clearly paints her as the most intelligent character in the movie. Of just yeah, but Travolta is not having it. No, he just, yeah, and then he's <laughs> you know she's supposed to be twenty and he's nineteen, but the maturity level here is so such a wide chasm. She's explaining to him all these really you know intellectual and intelligent, not exactly right or healthy, but reasons she's with them, and all he can take of is oh yeah, in the sack. <laughs> I bet, he, I bet he needs you around every once in a while for a little plate time. I don't even know what he says. <laughs> but that's the tone, definitely. It's him trying to teach Mikey how to pee-pee in the potty. And basically, <laughs> he he has to hold on to his masculinity. He has to say piss. Yeah, it's, it's just such a mean scene. Again, I keep going to just Travolta's character being mean-spirited. And I know that the movie, at least implies that it's coming out of uh, insecurities within him, right? He's not an out-and-out out villain, not voluntarily, but he's just yeah. such an asshole to people. Uh, and he really, he slut-shames her. Oh, yeah. And it's like, dude, you were, like, halfway inside of that other girl just the other night. <laughs> Less than 12 hours ago. Yeah, and this reminded me a lot of Lewin Davis when he yells at the the older couple and they get all upset and he's he don't got to start crying. <laughs> Was the loons? Well, she doesn't have to. Clearly, I'm leaving. <laughs> so he takes her for a ride, and she's just distraught. I think um, she cries all the way home. His meanness, coupled with her realization of what she's doing, is kind of wearing on her. And Ultra Volta says, "Yeah, we'll just pull over." And they go and look at the bridge. The Verrazano Narrows Bridge that Travolta is so fond of, and he. In the one moment of the film where he has any remote intelligence beside something that's not hair or clothes, he like knows the entire history of this bridge, how much steel and concrete was put into it. You know, that's a rewrite. That has to be a rewrite. <laughs> After the original test screening showed that people just fucking hated him. They're like, can you just give him something that's redeemable other than the dancing? Maybe he really likes bridges. <laughs> it would have been awesome if they just embraced those. Like, hey, you see that bridge? It's really big. <laughs> Oh, the drive back, he just keeps pointing at bridges. <laughs> right over there, we got <laughs> So, Gus had said the Barracudas had assaulted him. So, in retaliation, Potsy, Duty, Sonny, Kanicki, and Danny all launched the attack. It's not really well thought out. Well, on both in front and behind of the camera. Mm -hmm. uh, behind the camera and in front of the camera. I, I just... My note says, this fight scene was not directed by John Woo. It was not. It's, it, it's just messy in the worst possible way. Not in an artistic way, but just it goes in and out of slow motion, but not in the cool Zack Snyder way. No. But just in the like, oh shit, we need to cover this. Yeah. <laughs> we need to make this shot last longer. So let's just go into grainy slow-mo footage. Uh, there's, and there's only like three of them. Yes. It, in the, Barracudas, that is. Well, and then, like, two girls that get punched like they were men. Yeah. Uh, brutal. But a lot of blood. Tony and the gang get fucked up. They they got a bunch of, like, switch uh, switchblade marks on their face. And Bobby C., I mean, the kid looks like he's 14, so I don't blame him, but he just hightailed it out of there. Well, he's also going to be a father, so he needs to... <laughs> 
he's not. It's not just about. He doesn't him want anymore. the baby to see a scarred up face <laughs> when it's born. So uh, they go. You know, despite how fucked up they are, they feel they got their licks in. So of course they go to tell Gus about this in the hospital. And man, you want to talk about just bad makeup? This was not a Peter Jackson film in the slightest. It looks like they put a stencil on the guy's face and then spray painted black paint on it. I'm surprised that the the Blu-ray didn't have a CGI restoration where they just made them actually look fucked up. <laughs> where Travolta didn't swing first, it was the <laughs> Barracuda. Um, and then Gus says, you know, well, I might have been wrong. It may not have been the Barracudas. And to Gus's defense, he was mugged and probably had a concussion. So, And also, he didn't know that his friends were going to go postal on, on these people. Yeah, so he's not to blame, but they all act like they want to kill him for this. And that's it for Gus. We don't see him for the rest of the film. No, he, uh, he just dies of shame in the hospital, apparently. <laughs> he's just stuck in, in purgatory. Well, also, this whole thing, because they get into a big argument at the hospital, and really, they go from being angry at Gus to suddenly just being angry at, at the kid, at mm-hmm. Bobby C. And For it, leaving him. Yeah, it just turns into this really un- uncomfortable moment where one of them says something really mean about him for, for taking off in the middle of the fight, and then nobody disagrees. <laughs> it's a very awkward scene. You voted for Trump. You let us down. <laughs> and then he looks everywhere for support. Nope, not happening. <laughs> so it's time for the dance contest. An entire movie is built to this moment of Stephanie and Tony uh, on the dance floor to the Bee Gees, More Than a Woman. God damn it, that's a good song. Uh, they don't do the song justice. I think the the song is better than their dancing. Yeah, there's a lot of stalling and a lot of just like longingly looking into each other's eyes. Which why for the narrative is fine, but for the audience watching, I don't know why that would get scored highly. Exactly. If you're a judge, you're like, what the fuck? Are you here to dance or to flirt? They, their big finale is not like an amazing dance move. It's them kissing. Yeah, it, that's it's not, not dancing. It's not Chanja Dingagorio being scored <laughs> oh, in no. while. Potsy carries Stephanie off to stage left. Uh, oh, Travolta wouldn't even dance with her because he is very, very <laughs> uh, heavily opposed to Hispanics of any type. Um, so during this, this dance scene, and it's not funny. It's just kind of sad more than anything. Annette just starts a huge downward spiral. She starts just taking pills that are being handed to her, drinking what's ever handed to her. Uh, there's been one previous extra scene of uh, just humiliation for her. What was that? When she comes up to Travolta. Oh, that's with, right. When uh, he was coming out of the dance studio. Yeah. And in her, I guess, I guess in her mind, her they didn't have sex last time because she she was not fixed. It was her fault. Right. So she shows up with condoms. Yeah. And Travolta, he just says something like "Ah, jeez," and then walks off. Uh, and then yeah, we get the reveal shot because we don't know what it is. It's right. The reveal and, shot of the condoms, and you know, as an audience member, just like Matt, what are you doing, baby? Get out of that movie, girl. <laughs> uh, don't chase him, but she does, and she will probably regret it. She starts popping pills, drinking, smoking, whatever's in front of her. Uh, Steph and Tony do their dance number, and to the movie's credit, it's good, not great. And then the Hispanic couple from Puerto Rico take the stage and just fucking slaughter it. And everyone else is too... Uh, MAGA-minded to give them the right. proper credit. Uh, Travolta's the only one that starts to see through, and it's like, maybe the emails weren't that bad. <laughs> and he, he starts to realize, you know, that he's not the end-all, be-all. 
the Italians and all that. They don't have everything on lock. This is the most sincere moment in the movie, the moment where it almost had me. Because they, one, they backed off from being so enamored with Travolta's dancing mm -hmm. and acknowledged that other people were better dancers than him. Was it Bridge on the River Choir that the What Have I Done? Literally, I just watched the the Purge, the new Purge movie mm -hmm. last week, and uh, Marisa Tomei has that line, and it said 100% sincerely, she's not <laughs> she's not being cynical or ironic or trying to be funny or anything. She just she holds her head and she says, "What have I done?" <laughs> the best "What have I done?" ever is uh, Titanic when the uh, assistant the captain, captain the, the... yeah, he shoots someone just because he's so frantic and then like he doesn't say it but he just looks to like the, his comrade and shoots himself that, that's how you're supposed to play it you're not supposed to say it you just oh, yeah, play yeah. it on your face that breaks my heart because when i saw marissa tomei was in i was like what the fuck yeah no dude that's the most memorable thing she does in that movie is say that line i laughed out loud anyway anyway travolta has a what have i done moment kind yeah. of or what have i been doing for the past 19 exactly years? it's like i spent 19 years dancing and i just got shown off by People that I, whose race I despise, but also nobody else seems to care, which means that all the other times they've said that that I was a great dancer, mm -hmm. they're probably they don't care. They yeah. don't. There's no taste involved here. And so that moment is the most sympathetic Travolta is in the movie. Just that brief. He's Michael fleeting. becoming aware of Andy, <laughs> of how much of a kiss ass and how much of a weirdo he is. Uh, but yeah, he when it's over, Sugar Ray, he uh, <laughs> he says, "Oh no, 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 they were better than us." And everyone's like, "No, you were better." And even Stephanie is like, "No, we we're just as good as them." He's like, "No, that's bullshit." And then he's announced the winner, and he realizes, you know, being prom king, there's more to life than this. Yeah, his his face uh, while he's getting the trophy is uh, Michael Fassbender's face in shame during the three-way, which is not enjoying this just at not, all. Not breaking the fourth wall, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, should be the crowning achievement of his life, and instead, just very bummed. Um, yeah, he is the opposite of, because, you know, you have sore losers, and he's kind of a sore winner. Mm -hmm. Even when later he tries to do something nice, he seems to be doing it more like out of spite because he goes to try to give the money and the trophy to the the Puerto Rican couple that won. And they say, "Okay." <laughs> yeah. And he's he's not gracious about it. He it's so clear that he's so butthurt. Here you about... go. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh he snaps. This causes him to absolutely snap. This is he, and, and the he movie becomes snaps. Mike Douglas and falling down at this point. <laughs> Uh, yes, and this is where the movie completely spirals out of control. Tony wins, realizes his life is, you know, not a lie, but this pocket that he's carved out, it's one of comfort and, you know, one of no risk, I think would be the best way. And realizing that he's allowed himself to fall into this, he just completely snaps, throws the money away, curses his friends. He's walking out of the club. He's like, this place is a shithole. It's a shithole. <laughs> and then goes back with Stephanie uh, to his friend's car and to motel six yeah he has the keys his descent his you know loss of mental capacity culminates in his attempt to he attempts to rape her pretty and, much she says no several times yeah and he doesn't stop and i guess she she's him in the groin or something she'd watch grease she knows that the only way to escape a travolta attack is hit him in the nuts and she does and yeah she gets away uh to her credit and that's the last we see of stephanie of the evening 
the crew comes back with a net, and Travolta is still just in his haze, just grabs a net and tries to walk off with her, and like gets in a scuffle with his friends. And uh, in the the family <laughs> stone moment, Luke Wilson says, "You don't even love her, man." <laughs> Yeah, uh, not that Timon and Pumbaa here love her either. No, they're, the, yeah. The only difference is that they're they're just a lot more, uh, I guess, in tune with, with their, their horniness. <laughs> exactly. She in the bar and again on the street says, you know, to the effect of, "I'm, I'll have sex with everybody," type of thing. Uh, and it's taken a bit too far as they just start driving around town, taking turns having sex with her in the back of the car despite her pleas to stop. It's gross. I just not that I Oh, it's horrible, man. I, I I just what the fuck are you doing, movie? This was supposed to be a fun, wholesome movie about it's like dancing. Tears of the Sun or Tears at Dawn. What's that Sean Penn movie? Uh Casualties of War. Casualties of War. Why do I always think it's Tears of something? That American History X, I'm just trying to think of like the worst rape scenes in movies that, that come sort of out of nowhere. Yeah. Like I mean, American History X, for example, obviously he's in prison. You know that it's just kind of like a staple of prison, male prison movies, like right? The, the the sexual assault yeah, there. The, and, but somehow a, a movie kind of like eases you into a narrative and you're like, okay, so I guess we're not going there. Mm-hmm. And then it goes there. Same thing here. It's, it's not like in American History X, the people weren't like laughing and joking 30 seconds before. like. Right, but you were under the under the impression that – Okay, we're not going to see it. Yeah. And instead, we see it in slow motion. Yes. It's just... And in this, about halfway through the first go-around with one of the three Stooges, Timon or Pumbaa, excuse me, uh, Annette realizes she wants to stop, and the men have no interest in stopping at this point. And the camera's just fixated on Travolta's fucking face. (laughs) And, yeah, he is deeply ashamed of himself, as he should be. Except that... Well, let's let's finish this whole evening sequence because I, I have something to say about his priorities when it comes to <laughs> what upsets him. So they go back to the bridge, as every night finishes at the bridge, uh, the Verrazano Narrows Bridge, which Travolta could tell you all about. The picture in picture here was him. You know, you could select what you wanted to watch, and it was him just with the architecture and the blueprints. You see, here was the pivot point, <laughs> and here where my friend fell. <laughs> So they're doing their thing. Annette uh, is obviously inconsolable, and Travolta doesn't help. The, the final nail in the coffin, uh, basically just saying, "Is that what you wanted? Are you happy now?" And Annette tries to run away, and Travolta goes to console her, because um, I think in his mind he thinks he's right for saying that, but at the same time, obviously doesn't want her running away and getting lost in traffic. I think in his mind he's somehow able to justify it that he's doing something good. But in his mind he's the good guy here because yeah. he because he, he did not have sex with her again. He's Mike Douglas and falling down. Um, Timon and Pumbaa are playing on the bridge, but what really raises Travolta's eyebrows and gets him concerned is when Bobby C jumps out on the ledge because we've seen the other scenes in this. He never gets out of the car, right? And so Travolta's like, "Okay, hold on, this isn't good," and it doesn't get much better. Bobby C uh, is clearly snapped. His life as he knows it is over. Uh, he starts crying and, you know, asking Travolta why he never called, you know, why they never talk. He was never there for him type thing. And then he slips and falls and dies. It sucks. It's very sad. To be fair, we don't see a body. He falls into the water. I mean, I Saturday guess. Saturday Night Fever 2 could be the return of Bobby C. 
Bobby sees revenge. Yeah. Comes it's... back, a harpoon for a hand. <laughs> Starts hunting them down one by one. Oh, Jesus. His killer dance moves are what do it, does it. No one ever asked him to dance, and so he comes back to seek vengeance. And then Travolta's like, well, I guess that's one way of uh, avoiding child support. <laughs> what did he say? There's uh, there's ways of killing yourself besides killing yourself. Yeah. Cops show up. The wisest thing he says in the entire movie. Cops that's show not up. related <laughs> to Bridges. <laughs> they, say, they say, yeah, he's dead. You guys can go home. They, like release Annette into the arms of Timon and Pumbaa, just a, you know, the Jeffrey Dahmer type thing of, here you go. Um, and Travolta just says, fuck it, I'm not going back with y'all. He doesn't even respond to him. doesn't even say, I'm going for a walk or anything like that. Uh, so that's it. We see of Annette, Timon, and Pumbaa. Uh, Travolta takes a long subway ride in the classic 1970s graffiti New York subway system. Uh, it's infuriating because... The movie is aiming at you to feel bad for him, right? Oh, mm-hmm. poor guy. His life just kind of fell apart. He didn't win the competition. His friend died, and the girl that that he treated like shit got raped by someone else. Mm-hmm. And and the girl he loved, he tried to rape, so she left him. Right. So, oh, boo-hoo. In, in, on top of that, not only is that wrong, but also <laughs> everything that's led up to here would point to the fact that his it, the things that upset him are in this order: one, not winning the competition, not being the real, the, the actual best dancer out there; mm-hmm. two, not getting to have sex with Stephanie; three, the death of uh, of his friend; and four, like a very distant four, the fact that just Annette in general, Annette in general. It's like, man, can she ever do anything right? <laughs> Tony shows up at sunrise at Stephanie's loft, condo, apartment, what have you. It looks like a modern Austin apartment. It's quite quite nice. Uh, he apologizes. She, I think she's not scared of him, although she should be. And she makes a crack about not usually letting rapists, yeah. potential rapists, in. And Travolta misses the perfect opening of saying, "Let me tell you about last night." <laughs> Let me tell you about my buddies. It got wild after you left. <laughs> He apologizes in total sincerity and says that he's going to move. He's moving out of Brooklyn, and he's going to try to move to Staten Island um, and asks if they can be friends. And she's like, are you going to be okay with that? Probably not. Uh, But they shake on it, and the movie kind of ends on a handshake and a hug. Uh, And Travolta, or Tony, excuse me, and Stephanie, I guess, are going to give friendship a try. Which we know. Anybody who's seen When Harry Met Sally, you know a man and a woman can't be friends. Well, anyone who watched the previous two hours of this movie knows that. Also know that Travolta's just going to – he's just going to keep pushing and humiliating her until she gives in. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, That character, the Stephanie character, is just – she's portrayed as if she was supposed to be the smartest person in this movie, but she keeps making really dumb decisions mm-hmm. like – Allowing Travolta back in. Biggest of uh, biggest of her mistakes is allowing him back into her apartment. A huge bullet that she that she dodged. Yes, the bullet can dance really well, but still, not worth it. The deceitful bullet. And also, you know what? This fucking movie. I, one last time, I'm gonna go. I understand in '77 this is impressive. 2018, I've seen five Step Up movies. <laughs> I'm just desensitized to 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 Travolta's dancing because. 
there were there we have was Pierce enough. Brosnan dancing and singing in films in this day and age. Hey, it's it's coming back because the first one came out ten years ago. Yeah, what's it called? Mamma Mia Returns. <laughs> Mamma Mia. Back again. for more. <laughs> uh, Mamma Mia. Here we go. Here we again. go again. Because the song again, again. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just to wrap it up here, I don't know how we didn't come up with this. The other friend's name is Joey. <laughs> of course, he's an Italian, so... Right. He would later inspire the famous French character. The one where Joey and Chandler gangbang a girl in the back of the car. While Ross drives. <laughs> hey, you probably shouldn't do that. I just got Emily pregnant. <laughs> All right, take us out, BGs. All right, we're recording for Real Talk. Thank you, Barry Gibb, for that musical interlude. Uh, Real Talk, before we get into it. This is where we tell you how we really feel. Hence the name Real Talk. It was originally proposed to be Real Feelings. <laughs> uh, it was For this episode, we're going to title this section, How Deep Is Your Love? Um, Saturday Night Fever. Released on, I should have my notes better prepared at this point. Let's just get to it here. It's still shaking from the experience. <laughs> exactly. Released on December 14th, 1977, uh, the same year as Star Wars, because I was reading over the Oscar noms from that year and just seeing John Travolta nominated and Star Wars was nominated for Best Picture. 
the only nomination this had was for Best Actor for John Travolta. Had a lot of Golden Globe and other, you know, Choice Award nominations. Um, Star Wars, John Williams won an Oscar for Best Score that year. Are you, do you resent him for that? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought, I, you, I thought you were saying, like, fucking John Williams won no, instead I of... Mean, uh, this is one of my favorite movie soundtracks of all time, but also <laughs> the Star Wars score. I mean, for Christ's sakes. Uh, budget of $3.5 million. Made a box office return of a little under $240 million. Now, two things I'll get to about that box office, because this thing was a fucking smash, and there's a reason for that. Before we get into that, Julio, though, I fucking love this movie so much that I think it might give Pulp Fiction a go for its money when it comes to the Travoltes. Uh, oh, shit. But who did not like this movie? Uh, Potentially you. You had never seen it before, right? Correct. Okay. We'll get to what I think of this movie as we as we go along in real talk. But first, Gary Arnold from the Washington Post says, Saturday Night Fever assaults you with a flagrantly foul-mouthed script and coarse viewpoint. Pretty poor choice of words there. But the movie assaulting you. Uh, Henry Stewart from Brooklyn Magazine says, Contemptuous of the community it phonily purports to depict. Now, that's fair, especially that guy came from said community. Brooklyn Magazine. Yeah. When he saw so, the theater, so just... he just, Hey! <laughs> He started slapping people around the <laughs> people around him. Uh, I should have read it with with an Italian accent. I think we've we, we, yeah way <laughs> we've gone overboard with that in this episode. Heavily xenophobic towards Italians in this episode. Uh, Ken Hankey from Mountain Express, Asheville, North Carolina, says dates as badly as the clothes. Uh, wrong and more <laughs> wrong, sir. We all wish we could dress in those clothes right Fuck now. Fuck yeah. Uh, Kevin A. Ranson from MovieCrypt.com. This is actually a fresh quote, but it sounds negative. It says, too bad the kids didn't really jump off that bridge. Fuck. <laughs> and finally, Edward Havens from FilmJerk.com. The omission of John Travolta in any of the commentaries or documentaries is a major shadow that the new disc cannot get out from. <laughs> Rotten. Yeah, the director, um, John Badham. He has commentary on the Blu-ray that we watched. Travolta, I'm trying to think of movies that he did commentary for. I know he did one for Battlefield Earth. Jesus. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> One more. Nailing the coffin yeah. on that one. I'm trying to think, what have we watched that we said we would like a commentary track from him on? Anything. Jesus. That's true. Um, okay. So kind of getting to the... Phenomenon, definitely. <laughs> oh, God, yes. <laughs> You see, it was just supposed to be a damn mistake. But, you know, I improv and said it's a goddamn mistake. Okay, so Saturday Night Fever, getting back to this, uh, directed by John Badham. Uh, screenplay by Norman Wexler. Uh, again, John Travolta fucking killed it in this. Now, this movie, clearly and obviously, if you've seen it and if you listen to our first recap of it in uh, hashtag CC, an R-rated movie, a hard R at that. Um, now... Back at this point in time, there was the rating scale was just PG and then there was R. I don't think PG 13 came to light until like 84. I'm trying to remember what the first PG 13 movie was. I know this was this played a part in it because what happened was, uh, Welcome Back Cotter, number one, Travolta was you know a big smash from that. You want to talk about a fucking tiger beat cover model? Uh, 
Travolta there, and then the soundtrack was such a huge success because it's fucking awesome. And also at the time, it was very topical. Because of these things, they wanted to. They knew they could make more money off this movie, and they were missing out on a market because it was rated R. So they went back and like cut a bunch of shit out and made a PG version of it and re-released it. But what we watched tonight was not the PG version. Okay. <laughs> because I was about to ask you what they cut <laughs> if that's what we watched today. I uh, know like almost none of like the end is there. They just kind of win the dance contest and then he never goes to give the money or the trophy to the Puerto Ricans. Instead, he's... they just win and they hold up the trophy, and, then... <laughs> and it's just like I a free... have the tiger. It's the thrill of the fight. The freeze frame of Travolta's conflicted face, and then that's it. Credits. Uh, they completely eliminated the character of uh, Annette. <laughs> yeah, she was completely cut out of the movie. Uh, and I know they just like just dubbed, like, street noises over a lot of, like, the cursing and stuff. So the the poster for it, you can see it here, it's now rated PG <laughs> for the re-release. Um, I'll have to find the exact breakdown of what the monetary return was, but I know, like, m- the majority of it was made from the PG release of it. Uh, because of that, I think there is a distorted memory of this film. I told you the story about me going to see the classic screening of this and becoming very alarmed quickly at how many people were bringing their children into the movie. And I'm talking children. Right. These like, are people that watched the PG version when they were kids or yes. they were young. Like, yeah. there were kids as young as like 12, 10 in there, uh, maybe even younger. But the parents just remembered the dancing and the music and like the he hit my hair because that's what the PG versions all like placated on. And I was sitting in a row with the family with, like, three children. The end with Annette in the car. I was just like, oh, for fuck's sake. And Take I'm, them out of the movie. The parents, like, looking at one another, like, when did this happen? And, um, I mean, that's the danger of doing something like that. Has there been another movie like that at that level that did something like that? I can't think of a movie that had two different versions that would be so easily mistaken for one another, I yeah. guess. Um. I mean, it's a very unique scenario because, like you said, that was – it's not just that it was like, oh, radar, rated PG, but also the lack of PG-13 in other – you know, the rating in between makes it – I don't think it's a PG movie even if you remove all that stuff. No. You know, it's it's dealing with adult themes from the very beginning. Yeah. Even if you remove the rape, it's still just – it's about this guy's very serious existential crisis. Mm-hmm. So – um. So there's that, in addition to the opening of this. Uh, have you ever seen a movie called Bushwhacked with Daniel Stern? Nope. Okay. It's a really bad, awesome movie from the 90s. Um, and, like, the opening of it is a, a direct, like, parody of the opening of this, where they're playing Staying Alive by the Bee Gees, and Daniel Stern's walking down the streets in New York City, but he's a complete loser, and, like, he thinks he's really cool, like Tony Monero, but... Anyway, here nor there. If there's any chance I get to plug Daniel Stern, I definitely will. Um, Saturday Night Fever. Enjoy this movie. Love this movie every time I watch it more and more. Uh, I think I did watch the PG version when I was a little kid because I remember just being really into the music and Travolta's dancing and whatnot. Um, yeah, I don't even think like until like 25 or 26 you can really appreciate much of the message of this film. Uh, I honestly, I didn't appreciate much of it until... We were recording Contrarian's Corner. 
<laughs> That's not true. I, I, I got it. I understood it. I just didn't appreciate it as much until you kept talking. Even in Contrarian's Corner, your love for this movie was shining through. <laughs> uh, and I guess it, it helped me soften. I, 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 I liked it. But I don't think I liked it as much as you did. Mm -hmm. But I definitely like it more now than when we started recording. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's not – despite like the music and the visuals and the dancing, it's not a fun movie. Well, yeah, but no, but I have no problem with that. I think what I've really – over the last hour or so that we've been talking and I've been thinking about it, it's – and even as we were watching it, what I can pinpoint it to the closest is I just – I don't buy, therefore I don't care for the relationship with the main girl, with mm -hmm. Stephanie. I just don't see it. Yeah. And, and, and the climax hinges on them, right? It's like I'm supposed to have a very strong emotional reaction to the fact that they're going to give it a go to being friends, but I don't really care. If it, I think to me it would have been more effective if you just see Travolta go. Walk off into the sunset. Walk off and then or maybe even like you can see him kind of watching her house but then he makes a decision to not even go there. He yeah. just goes on his own. Uh, that, to me, would signify a very the clear breaking off that he's aiming for, right? Without muddling it with the romantic subplot that, for me, never works. And I don't know if it's... I'll have to watch the movie again to determine if it's just that it's the performance mm -hmm. of the girl uh, or if it's just the way that she's written. Yeah. Because uh, she is written... I, I'm, in theory, she should be very intriguing, right? Because she is kind of this intellectual character and she's surrounded by all these idiots. My thing was, uh, yeah, like when they go to White Castle and she's like, what the fuck am I doing here with <laughs> right, these morons? Right. Um, it is weird that it's it helps the Tony character mature more than almost anything, but uh, it's one of the weakest points of the film. I think as far as like a story perspective goes... She should have been like considerably older than him. She should have been like in her mid or late twenties. Her just being a year older than him, I think, made some of that kind of—I don't want to say unrealistic, but it feels fake. Yeah, she's you know this sage compared to him when she's only like six months older than him. Dude, definitely, you get a thirty-year-old there mm -hmm. that—that's a good dancer. She doesn't have to be a great dancer, but she can be a good dancer. And now she can definitely teach Travolta about life. Yeah. Um, I do like in the end, I mean, obviously it would be really fucking shitty to have a happy ending, which I think the PG one does. Um, but <laughs> we won. I just think of the Karate Kid ending <laughs> like in slow motion. To Mr. Miyagi, Mr. Miyagi, uh, Frank Jr. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, um, I, I like how they're just going to be friends and how Tony, Knows it's probably not going to work out, but uh, here nor there type of thing. Just the the sudden like realization of how fake everything in his life is and how it all just like crashes down mentally on him. And uh, yeah, that whole last 20, 30 minutes is just fucking brutal. But going like leading into that, what do you think of Travolta's performance? Oh, Travolta. I mean, let's talk about the Travolta factor. He is just he breaks the Travolta meter in this. <laughs> yes, uh, like. Uh... Well, we were maybe 20 minutes into the movie when you asked me how I felt about Travolta, and I was just, it's pure Travolta. Yeah. It's Travolta unadulterated. It's just the, a pure bottle of Travolta. It's like a bottle of vanilla extract. You just get, <laughs> that, you just need <laughs> yes. a little of it. Yeah. Every movie from this point forward in history is just, 
Okay, just give us about 1% of Tony Monero. Uh, it's, it's funny because it's the first time, and we've done, what, eight movies so far, I think, with him. It's the first time that I've seen... This is the closest I've ever felt to John Travolta. <laughs> well, it's the first time that I've seen echoes. I've recognized echoes between characters. The thing that I've been saying almost every episode is, this character is completely different from every character we've seen so far. Yeah. Which surprised me because I was not aware that Travolta had that much range, even though I've seen most of the movies that we've covered so far, right? Uh, and it here, really puts it in perspective when we're watching these oh, like, yeah, back-to-back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Especially because it's not that gradual transformation. We're seeing him at different stages in his life. Yeah. Like, this is really young Travolta, mm-hmm. and we just saw basic slash face-off Travolta. Yeah. It couldn't be more different. No. <laughs> <laughs> but but I was watching him in this movie, and some mannerisms, some of the reaction shots, especially when he got exasperated, they were very Vincent Vega. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. I just I love that I finally found that link between the performances <laughs> and... Like you can see in some of Tony Monero's like verbose uh, overreactions, the a felt pen, a magic marker. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, so it, it's cool because I don't know what what exactly made Tarantino a fan of Travolta, but you could totally see him now. I writing that script and thinking, yeah, the guy from Saturday Night Fever or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, because that kind of performance or he has that kind of energy. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was this and Pulp Fiction, I think, are the only things he's been nominated for an Oscar for. So, former guest of the podcast, Reed, is very uh, dismissive of Travolta's performance in this. Uh, really? Yeah. He does not care for this movie or his performance. Not even the dancing? I mean, he might no-sell it, but anyone that... <laughs> if you have eyes. Yes. <laughs> I guess uh should jump right into it. Do you, li- you like it more than Grease? Yes, but I'll be more likely to rewatch Greece, which is a huge achievement of the Summer of Travolta. Probably the biggest accomplishment. Uh, it, it's not over yet, but I think the biggest accomplishment is not make me a hundred percent a Greece convert, but at mm-hmm. least getting me halfway there, maybe where I can see myself enjoying that movie in the future. Uh, this one is a rough watch. Yeah. So, I uh, okay. So. In the same vein of like, I don't know, Saving Private Ryan's probably a better movie than Ready to Rumble, but I'd rather watch Ready to Rumble first. Okay, well, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> You're just trying to figure out how to way to work that in. The, 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 a Spielberg movie versus Ready to Rumble is what I was trying to shoehorn in there. Very specific, very personal Alex <laughs> Maddis example. You're, you're like, hmm, that seemed like something you had on the back burner. Uh, I, I might be, maybe I'll uh, I'll YouTube the dancing numbers. There you Dance go. numbers, that's uh, great. But yeah, uh it's it's he's he's great. Definitely the standout in the movie. I the rest of the of the cast, I mean, I think they do Okay, Annette is really good. I think she's really good. She's heartbreaking. She's a good dancer. Yeah. Which is something else that makes it even sadder that he can't even to me, I wasn't getting the trans corner. I think she's a better dancer than Stephanie. Mm-hmm. Um Stephanie's just like this new thing, though, this new shiny thing that he right, can't have. So. Right, but also Stephanie has that confidence that Annette doesn't have. Yeah. So obviously that makes her more attractive uh, as a dance partner. Uh, but yeah, Travolta's the star. I mean, this from the very beginning. From like, Jump Street. Did you, uh, have, did you know that story about how they, the director 
they were done shooting and then they decided they needed the, the shots of his feet walking in the opening. Mm. And so he shot them with someone else. And Travolta was like, that's not going to match because nobody walks like me. You need to get me walking. And the directors were fucking actors, whatever. Yeah. And then they go to the editing room and it doesn't match. <laughs> so they had to get Travolta to do the walk. That's awesome. I feel like I'd heard that before, but it had been a while. Um, I'd love to, the first like, 20, 30 minutes, the first act, or as it were, there's like a good amount of comedy in it. I think that's, the, to me, the brilliance of the movie is the gradual downward spiral how uh, it starts off like with a fun sense of these like kids, and um, it just slowly deteriorates. But the <laughs> shot of him after he gets ready for the club, and then it's dinner time, and he has like a whole towel wrapped around him <laughs> while he's eating. <laughs> uh, which just watch the hair. There's, uh, I also felt that there was there was a strong connection with Mean Streets. I don't know when Mean Streets came out, but it gave me that vibe. Have you seen it? That's uh, Scorsese, right? Scorsese, mm-hmm. I think it's his first movie, maybe his second. But it's Is De Niro in it? Yep. Yeah. Harvey Keitel, Harvey De Niro. Keitel. The Wolf. It, yep, The Wolf and uh, Travis Bickle and uh, and a handful of just hooligans that go mm-hmm. with them. And it's kind of the same story. It was just the story engine. And in, in that one, there's no dance competition even to go with. <laughs> I think that the... The thing that gets closest to driving the movie is that Robert De Niro owes money to someone. And so that's kind of like the ticking clock that at some point he's going to have to pay. And so De Niro is a loose cannon. Harry Keitel is the sensible one, the religious one. But he hangs out with all these dudes and he's in love with his cousin. Sounds about right. And it's just it's kind of like this where you see them just have a series of nights in the lives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and they keep spiraling yeah. and the the final act of uh, of Mean Streets is also very chaotic and very it goes really dark mm-hmm. uh, so I got the and they're all Italian American so yeah. th- th- there's just no dance numbers there <laughs> well what's great about this too is uh, as a viewer you see all of this from the beginning you're like oh this isn't good this isn't good this is gonna end poorly but Travolta's Tony is so like enamored in his own head that he dismisses all of it so that's why it leads to like that big violent outburst in the end as he realizes it all at once the analogy i made earlier about the hose being stepped on for 37 years and had to be released um yeah obviously i mean i don't like that we're in a place right now where you know we have we can't certain things are bad and will always be bad Obviously, given our climate right now... Sexual sexual assault, always bad. Always bad. Confederate flags, always bad. (laughs) Movie made like this, that at that time, using the racial uh, jargon, as it were, that it does, and um, the scenes of sexual assault, obviously, during... Because of the state we're in right now, with like the racial climates, obviously sexual assault climates. Watching it right now, probably not that good, but, you know, I feel... It's warranted for the story that's trying to tell. Well, yeah, I mean, it's going to trigger some emotions, but that's not—it's not the movie's fault, that, right? But yeah. also, it, I mean, I think they're the right emotions. It's not like the movie's advocating that any of this is right. No, uh, I think that the movie condemns Travolta for the way he treats uh, women and minorities, women and minorities in general, and also his buddies and everything, even in the in the moments where it makes light of something like when they find out that they beat up, they might have beaten up the wrong guys. Mm-hmm. It's still, it never says that it was okay. Yeah. It just says, well, you guys are idiots. 
what? How did you feel about the closing scene with like Annette and they're driving around and everything? Travolta in that. How do you? I mean, it rings true to his character. He is not a sympathetic character. I don't think that you're supposed to root for him. No. He's not a hero. That's right. that's the weird thing about a lot of the warped uh, memory of this film is you know, oh yeah, it was Travolta is great. It was hilarious. It's like, I think you watched the wrong movie, pal. Yeah, I think that there is a, a different way of developing the character in which you get to that climatic scene in the car, mm-hmm. and your your heart is breaking not just for Annette but also for him, right? Yeah. Because you're like, oh man, he was. He was such a good guy until he made this decision to not interfere. Yeah. But here, it's no. He's just like, of course, this piece of shit is just going to like let it happen. Because it, it proves he's right in the end. Right. Like, yeah. Are you happy now? Is that what you wanted? That's such a fucking cold scene, man. It's so brutal. And yeah, Annette is like the only sympathetic character in the yep. entire movie. Yep. Uh, and she, we mentioned it. It's such a sad, depressing character. But she's so good in it. And it's something that's relatable. I mean... Not really now, but uh, just women in general. The fact that, like, especially in a different era, they felt they had to lower themselves to that and right. just, like, accept see, that. Now, like, the modern criticism that that I think it's easier to make, rather than say, oh, the movie is okay with, with gang rape or whatever, mm-hmm. is saying, oh, look at this movie where they have this woman character that has no redeeming features, you know, that she's just, like, a doormat. Yeah. She's not really. I mean, she is, but... She's also a really good dancer, and and you know I, I I don't know she's a victim, but it's not the she's not the only woman character. You can't just say that. And I mean, all it, women are victims. We wanted to get deeper and deeper into my theology about Saturday Night Fever. She also is intelligent. She knows what she's doing. She thinks it's right to get what she wants, but obviously See, was, she learns. In the I was going to say intelligent, and I stopped myself because I was like, I don't know. Is she like she makes a lot of dumb moves? But I guess you could say she's determined. Yeah, which you know she's as driven as Travolta in a way. Yeah, uh, and God, yeah that that scene where like uh, at the end where she like realizes she wants it to stop, and then those guys don't stop. It's like fuck, this is rough. And then uh, homeboy kills himself. Um, I like how the movie's like, what well, did he mean to do it or not? I don't think he did. I think he was a youngin. But yeah, Travolta, I, that's one thing I kind of don't like is he kind of, the movie ends with the undersell of Travolta being like, he probably should have some more thought of, man, maybe if I just called this kid, he wouldn't have killed himself. But he's more concerned with uh, riding the subway and looking longingly into the night sky. Yeah, he's, uh, like I said in Contrarian's Corner, he seems mostly bummed about the competition <laughs> i guess that really he is mostly bummed about stephanie maybe mm-hmm. just you no know, i think he's just clumping everything into life sucks yeah i do love too in the dance competition how it is played like it is in that it's not karate kid some like competitive back and forth they're just clearly better than they are like yep. and travolta sees it right from the start i thought that was yeah, that's definitely to me the the highest point in the movie is that, the, like I said, in the first corner, just the the realization on his part that this is all bullshit, mm-hmm. and and this is where he's been spending his life. Not Fran Drescher. That wasn't the highlight of the film. Uh, that was that was a nice surprise. Yeah, uh, yeah. I said, hey, it's Fran Drescher, and Julio, pause. Holy shit! It is. <laughs> and then once you see that's her, then you can't unsee it. Oh no! The, the theme from the nanny starts playing in your head. <laughs> Uh, Oscar clip. Do we think it was the? I'm sorry, Mama. 
But that seems kind of almost... Uh, a, a cliche of a stereotype? Well, almost inconsequential, because it, it doesn't really... I don't think you even see the mother again since then. No. But the when he's leaving the the club with Stephanie and he's just ranting and raving about how everybody sucks and this club sucks and my friends are full of shit and blah, yeah. blah, blah. Uh, the problem with that scene is that it cuts to the inside of the car. Yeah. So you lose that momentum. <laughs> <laughs> if it kept going and he tried to like assault her, I guess outside of the car, that would be the Oscar scene. Absolutely. But, uh, I wonder what they, what they played at the Oscars. Maybe that was, it was so long ago. They didn't play clips. Who knows, man. That was a long time ago. It's just him dancing. <laughs> John Travolta, Saturday Night Fever. Dun, 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 <laughs> what you doing on your back? <laughs> doing his little knee thing. The uh, brother. Frank Jr.? Yeah, Frank Jr. How do you feel Frank Jr. who comes in for 20 minutes and then leaves? I, I think it's it's the way his character's written. He's, right. He's lost. And like he comes back and he... What he's looking for is not at home, so he has to leave. Right. So, so in a way, he gets the realization that Travolta gets later. Yeah. He he just he's a lot quicker. And he realizes it's not his place to. Like, right. Yeah. It's he's having fun watching the Travolta dance, and then finally the kid Bobby C goes, "Well, will the Pope forgive me <laughs> for an abortion?" And it just reality comes crashing down on him. Yeah. And he's like, "I can't waste my time at this club. <laughs> I got to get away. This is going to end badly. I got a feeling." So. You enjoy it more now after discussing this? Yes. I honestly the the whole the climax, the talk about the climax that we had in Contrarian's Corner, part of it was just me actually realizing what was really good about it. Mm-hmm. Putting into words what I liked about it, even as I was trashing it, mm-hmm. <laughs> was helpful. I I would definitely I would like to watch it again to give it its due. Now that I know how it all Plays out. Plays out. Because it is one of those movies. Like I had the same experience with Mean Streets. Because there's not a very strong through line plot-wise. It's just a series of things that kind of happen yeah. around, uh, 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 in this case, the dance competition. Uh, sometimes you can get restless. I, there were a couple moments where I was just like, okay, what's the story here? <laughs> is it about Travolta and Stephanie? Is it about Travolta and, and uh, the dancing? Is it about Travolta and... His brother. I mean, it, it's of course about all of it. Yeah. Because it's about Travolta. <laughs> uh, it's about Tony Manero. Tony Manero uh, outgrowing his his place in the world. His tight, tight pants. They're too tight now. And I meant to say a fun uh, episode. I said fun watch. Completely contradicting what we've been well, saying. I mean, it, the... it was a fun watch for at least half the movie. Yeah. All that dancing is phenomenal. It, it is, and the music's great. And not kidding, we said it in Contrarian's Corner, but he looked about five to ten years older in Greece than he did in this movie. But I think that was the prerequisite. You had to smoke two packs a day and look, you know, twenty years older than a high school student. They should. aged them yeah. so that he would measure up to to Sandy. They did the Bella he... Lugosi Dracula makeup on all of them. Here you go. Uh, okay, so we're not ranking yet. We'll save that for the Travoltis. But is this going to be the oldest one we watch? Blowout. We're recording tomorrow, and that's 81, I believe. Oh, yeah, so that's pretty close. That's another young Travolta. Yeah. We're not doing Carrie, right? No, no. Because Carrie is not John Travolta's movie. He's in Carrie, but it's not his movie. He's He doesn't even get an oh, my God scene. <laughs> no. He's just... The main thing I remember of him in that movie is he's driving drunk, and he's got a beer can, and a cop pulls up next to him, and he, like, spits beer on himself. 
Maybe he doesn't even know my gun. Oh my god, Carrie, no! <laughs> Two episodes ago, we vowed to retire the Travolta voice, and it, it can't, can't be. No, no. It, it wouldn't be the summer of Travolta without it. Uh, okay, so being that it's a bonus episode, uh, plug the usual things: um, the festive years for providing our opening and closing tracks. Uh, opening us up every time is Last Stand. Closing, of course, is summer of 1999. Um, we also have uh, to give our thanks to Hans Rothgeiser from the Nation Combi podcast who did yeah. our uh, our logo. If you want a logo or if you want to just talk to him about anything, Peruvian <laughs> politics usually, uh, he is uh, on Twitter at, at Mildemonios, that's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S, or you can email him at Mildemonios at hotmail.com. Uh, and, well, he he can do your logo or he can uh, just tell you about his writing. He's a writer as well. There's yeah. so many things to plug with hands. I just I, I can't choose every episode. Um, I do – it's not like a full-on plug, but I'll just mention that I watched Ant-Man and the Wasp mm-hmm. earlier today. Delightful. Excellent. One more reason for you, Alex, to get back on the MCU bandwagon. At this point, like I don't know where to start. It's like overwhelming. It's like death. Like I don't know where to begin. I will, we'll we'll carve out a week, and uh, I'll just walk you through it night by night. We'll <laughs> we'll just watch a new MCU installment. Sounds good. Uh, tomorrow we're going to be recording Blowout, but I believe this is the final bonus episode of the Summer of Travolta. Yes. Okay. There's no more musicals. Well, I mean. Yes, there's no more musicals. There's, there, there may be some musical sequences in mm-hmm. the, the movies we have left, but the famous musical sequence in Swordfish, I think, is what you're referencing. Yes, uh, is Halle Berry. It Project Swordfish, Operation Swordfish, or is it just Swordfish? It's just Swordfish. Oh wow, I don't know what I'm thinking of. Have you seen? Do you remember what Travolta looks like in that movie? He's got like the soul patch and yep. the slick back hair, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, brilliant. God bless. Um, neither of us has seen Blowout. No. So that'll be interesting. We have Blowout, uh, Swordfish, Get Shorty, and then Bringing Us Home will be Be, be cool. cool. And then we will have the much lauded and spoken about Travolties, celebrating the best and worst in the summer of Travolta. <laughs> the dizzying highs, the lowest lows, and the creamy middles. What is the, the penis name from Saturday Night Fever? Is it the Saturday Night Fever? The Unconsensual. <laughs> No, the Tony Monero. Well, what is the Tony Monero? Twice in one night, because it's <laughs> what he says in the beginning. Two's good. Two. Give me two. <laughs> I'll have to make a chart for that. All right. So, BG's penises. I think we've covered the whole gambit here. Yep. Uh, so, that'll wrap up our bonus series here during the summer of Travolta. We've got four episodes left been quite a ride and we've still got some plenty of ground to cover uh but for the interim that's going to do it for us here on the contrarians where we're right and you're wrong next time it's going to be a blowout the summer of 1999 back when you blew my mind and told me secrets in the dark